0: Well, my name's Lloyd. I'm one of the teaching pastors uh, here at Fellowship and uh, rotate teaching, of course, with Rob Sweet, whether at the Brentwood Congregation or at, or at our Franklin Congregation. Um, we are making our way through the Book of Acts. We call it Plan A, and we're very intentional about why we're doing this in this season in which we are looking back on 20 years. March 8th will be 20 years that we've been around in public worship in 2018, and so we're pausing to Look back, but really look forward and say, "God, how do we readjust our own vision? How do we renew that for the next twenty years?" And there's no better place to go than the Book of Acts, men and women. For here we find the church is Plan A. Now, what do we do as the church? What are our beliefs? How do we operate? That's what this book is telling us. Now, as we go through this uh, <clears throat> this study, we're pausing every once in a while because. The book of Acts will raise some topics that we feel like uh, require more attention. And so we'll stop and we'll say, okay, we need to talk about this. And we did it last week. Rob Sweet last week stopped in our study and out of the book of Acts said, let's talk about baptism. The who, what, when, where, why of baptism. Baptism. And uh, it was an amazing message. I hope if you missed it, you'll watch it. But I'll tell you the one statement that was arresting to me was, he said, when we go through the book of Acts, we find no unbaptized believers. They don't exist in the book of Acts. And the challenge was for you and I in our small groups to begin to have conversations about our baptism stories and uh, do have we been baptized? A step of obedience. We was very clear. It's not about salvation, but it's about obedience and proclaiming what God has done in us. He saved us, and baptism is a picture of that. So on January twenty eighth, uh, we will be doing baptisms here in the service. This gives us plenty of time for you to contact uh, Marilyn Duncan, contact one of us, so that we can talk to you about being baptized on that day, and we'll dedicate that whole service. Uh, to this ordinance that the Lord has given us. And I pray the Spirit continues to to speak to you around that in your own life. Secondly, I want to invite you, as Luke already did, but I'm going to say it again. If if you have not opted in to the 40 days of prayer and fasting, we have five more days. It ends on Friday, but it's not too late. I, I genuinely mean this. Uh, text in to the five 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 eight 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 text fellowship fast and tomorrow morning at six a.m. you will get the prayer guide for that day and finish the finish the forty days together with us. There is nothing that oh, is too strong per se. That's too strong, but I, I don't know. There's been much we've ever done or are doing as important as these forty days of prayer and fasting, where, like the passage we talked about a few weeks ago, with one accord, we pray. We pray together. We're praying the same things, unified, and the passage today will address it as well. So sign up. Secondly, on Friday, this Friday night, we're going to end these 40 days with an all-night prayer. And uh, we're going to pray from 8 a.m. to 7.15. Now, you don't have to stay the whole time. We're inviting you to come to 75-minute segments, okay, for an hour and 15 minutes. Bring the whole family. We're going all the way through. And when you get that prayer guide or you can go online, you'll see there's a link for you to sign up for a time slot for all-night prayer. And again, I think it's Jesus prayed through the night at times. There are times that require us to go beyond, you know, grace at the table. And uh, this is one of those times for us as a church. So I hope, hope you'll join us. Hope College uh, psychology professor David Myers uh, writes in his book, The American Paradox, Spiritual Hunger in an Age of Plenty. He writes this, quote, Since 1957, the number of Americans who say they are very happy has declined from 35% to 30%. We are today twice as rich but no happier. I have called this soaring wealth and shrinking spirit the American paradox. More than ever, we find ourselves with big houses and broken homes. High incomes and low morale. Secured rights and diminished civility. We excel at making a living but too often fail at making a life, we celebrate celebrate prosperity, but yearn for purpose. We cherish our freedoms, but long for connection. In an age of plenty, we are feeling spiritual hunger. End quote. Gang, he, he is not talking about the world out there. He is talking about the world in the room. The man you're looking at and the people you sit with. He's talking about us. This is not out there. No, no. Let's own our reality. This is true of us. The church of God, universal and local. Absolutely true of Fellowship Bible Church, I guarantee you. Here in Brentwood, in Franklin... And even in Nashville. You know we don't change until we fall in love with reality. And I think this is a really healthy dose of reality. You know we're get, you know what we're getting ready to do in the next forty five days. We're getting ready to spend as Americans six hundred and eighty eight billion dollars in forty five days on Christmas gifts. We. <laughs> That's us. Last year, it was $655 billion. It's a number we can't even get our head around, you know. What in the world is that? Well, if you had $680 billion, you could, in fact, buy 22,666,667 cars at $30,000 apiece. You want 22 million cars? get $680 billion. If you had $680 billion, you could buy, think about this, you could buy 3.4 million homes at $200,000 each. I mean, it's just a... It's an insurmountable, you know, number in our head. The research shows this, though. And, and you know this, you know, even at Christmas. And I'm not slashing, bashing Christmas because I like it, you know, the gifts. But no, no amount of stuff. Sorry. Yeah, I just blew the whole message right there. It's like, oh, my God. This is not going to work. No amount of stuff. See, can move the happy meter. That, that's a fact. Now, it can move it a little for a moment, but no amount of material good stuff, wealth, finances, no, it, it doesn't move the happy meter. In fact, what the research the research does tell us, it's inarguable, is that more stuff actually means less satisfaction. Well, in an age of plenty, here's the question for us. How, how do we, you know, how do we live? With the abundance we have such that it does not subvert the abundant life that Jesus promised. They're two different things. Well, God answers the question very clearly in our text today. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Acts chapter 4. We're in verses 32 to 35. I'm not going to go to 37. Rob will pick that up next week. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, and I'll tell you this, the more I spent time in the text, I thought I knew the answer. Like, uh, like if you asked me, what's the antidote to materialism, possessions, and, and, and wealth, I, I would have told you this. And the more time I spent in the text, I realized, well, it's not that, it's actually this. Um, it, as you're getting to your place in the Bible, let me say this, some of us in the room would say, Lloyd, um, yeah, I, I live in Williamson County or I live in Davidson County, I live in Middle Tennessee, but listen, I am not wealthy, so don't put me in that category. I do not have an abundance, and I know this, and I want you as a church to know this. You understand that in this church, in this room, there are people in this room who have trouble paying the bills each month. You do understand that. That are in a, maybe it's a financial season and, and they've suffered some loss, and, and your finances are difficult. I totally get that, and I don't want to make light or, 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 or just say, well, you know, that's no big deal. No, it's a big deal and it's real. But I think we have to, 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 to face the, the reality and the facts that tell us Pew Research, by the way, has done some research on this, they do it every year. Nine out of 10 Americans have a standard of living that is above the global middle income standard. So just take the whole world, and here's middle income. Nine out of ten Americans are above it. I like to think of it this way if I can. Maybe it gets a little closer to home. You know, there's 7.6 billion people on the planet. If we we just say, okay, how do we match up to the 7.6 billion? I'll say this. If... You drove a vehicle to church this morning. You have more, and you had more than one choice. If, as you got dressed, you had more than one choice of shoes to wear. If you spend money to feed an animal that you don't intend to eat. We have an abundance. That's the truth. We, we have plenty. We have more. Now, let me give you the context of our, our passage. We came out of, we're ending chapter 4 where Peter and John come out of jail. They have a prayer meeting. Uh, it's an amazing prayer with God's sovereignty. You Remember that two weeks ago? Um, they pray, the building shakes, they're filled with the Spirit, and they start speaking or they continue speaking boldly. That's, what, that's what's just happened. They, this prayer, the building shakes, and they're preaching boldly. And now we step into this story. One last thing I want to say before we get to the text, and this is more about the cultural context. Gang, this church in Jerusalem in particular, listen, it was not made up of peasants and paupers. I don't know, this, you may not do this, but my tendency is to think, you know, they were all so poor. Look how they, they, they don't even dress that great. Whatever you know, They were not, this was not a peasant and pauper church here in Jerusalem. The Roman occupation was, you know, intolerable for them. But it brought a measure of stability. And in that stability, it produced, quite frankly, an economic engine. Can I say that? Where there was at least these three things. Agriculture, trade, they were on a trade route, and Lo and behold, government spending. <laughs> you know, that's where they were. And that produced a, a, a people wherein they, they had possessions. They had homes. Some of them had investments, land investments, business decisions. They had services and goods they purchased. So, so as we read, let's, let's understand these weren't, these, weren't necess- these weren't poor. Now I'll tell you this, the economic engine did do... Just what it does today, there's a gap between those who are wealthy and those who are poor. And that's always been true. Now, with that said, we're going to read the passage in a moment. And there is an order that this passage unfolds in that helps us answer the question, what's the antidote to this age of plenty for us as believers? Such that our plenty doesn't subvert the mission of God in our life and in this world. Let's read the passage and I'll give you this outline. Starting in verse 32. It says, And the congregation, literally the multitude, of those who believed, these are Christians, those who believed, were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Let me give you three movements in this passage. The first that we notice is there is a Unity of heart and soul, okay this is the first thing we see there's there 's a unity of heart and soul, and that unity of heart and soul it, it, it leads into what i 'm going to call a transfer of ownership. so this unity of heart and soul leads into this transfer of ownership which then prompts what I will call a radical generosity. you with me so this is this is the the movement of the passage that we 'll follow we 're going to start with unity of heart and soul. It's verse 32a. And the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul. When the Bible speaks of the heart almost without exception, there are some exceptions, it is not speaking of the cardio is the word, but it's not speaking of the physical organ that pumps blood. It does at times, and you'll know it by the context. But generally, what it's speaking of is that internal center of our beings that represents the whole of our personhood. Well, here's what I mean. It's When the Bible speaks of the, the heart, it is speaking to you and I, and it's speaking about our, our, what we think, okay, it's speaking about what we feel. It's thinking, it's speaking of the deep longings, you know, these longings of the of the heart, and it's speaking of our volition and choice. So, so when he says they were with one heart, it says they, that means they were with one in their thinking, in their in their emotional life, in their feelings, in their deep desires and longings, and in their choices. They were of one heart, the whole being. And Proverbs 4.23 tells us, watch over your heart with all diligence. That is not a doctor's prescription. It goes on to say, for from it flow the springs of life. He's not talking about that. He's talking about watch over that part of you in which you think, you feel, you long, and you choose. Watch over that. Watch over the heart. It's immaterial, it's, it's that part of us that, you know, you can't, it's not physical, it's immaterial, which takes us to soul, because he says they were of one heart and soul. What is the soul? Gang, the soul is, is the essence of who you are. We all have a soul, immaterial, you can't touch it. We know this, you've been to a funeral and you, you see a body, and death is the separation of the soul from the body. One day my soul will leave this physical body. And if y'all are around or, you know, you may see my body somewhere and you'll know that I'm not there. I'm still alive because my soul lives forever. But it is residing right now in this body. Uh, The uh, International Standard uh, Bible Encyclopedia gives a very, you know, terse, a definition but I'll give it to you. I think it's it's helpful. The the soul is the essence of being or life. It is the animating principle ultimately derived from God who breathed, nephesh, breathed into mankind, into Adam, thereby creating a a living soul. See, there was a body, and then God breathed into Adam, and now he's a living soul, and every one of us have a soul that lives forever. This congregation is a multitude, is the literal Greek word here, which means you're talking about, gosh, you know, there were 5,000 back in verse... verse 4 chapter chapter 4 so you know there's there's a thousands of people that this is talking about and they are probably from different nations they're probably speaking different languages they they are just like this room right now we all don't like the same music we all don't like the same things we all have preferences for this we all have, it's just very different and yet they were of one one heart and soul this is not Uniformity, which is to say everyone needs to be alike, that is not the body of Christ, which is described by our physical bodies, and you know what my toe is nothing like my ear or my nose. you know it's all we're different, but we're unified it's a unity of heart and soul now, when we talk about this this oneness, it is a oneness, I want you to get it this way it is a it is it is a oneness of fellowship, same words used here when it says they have all things in common, that's koina, koinos, koinonia, fellowship, they're together. So there's this, there's this relational oneness that they were experiencing, this fellowship of oneness. But it is also, quite frankly, a oneness in terms of why we're here. How would I say this? They, they were one in their purpose. I'd say it like this. They were one in their mission in life. They were one in their vision for how they believe God longed for them to live their life. And I think that's verse 33. It's kind of an odd verse when you look at it. You could take verse 33 out and the passage would still make sense, but it wouldn't be whole. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. This is, this is, they were living their purpose in life. This is an answer to the prayer they prayed back in verse 29 and 30. Lord, grant that we may speak your word with boldness, confirm the words we speak by extending your hand to heal, do attesting miracles and wonders. You see that? That's verse 33. They were speaking with boldness and God was affirming that with abundant grace. I love the Greek in this. It's they were they they were speaking with mega power is the word, mega power proclaiming and mega grace was upon them all. Oh that God would do that to us and for us and through us. Mega power, mega grace. Here's what's clear when we see this and we watch them live. Being of one heart and soul meant, yes, I'll talk about this in a moment, relationally one, but one in terms of their purpose. And clearly they believed because it says those who believe." So those who believed understood that God did not save them. He did not rescue them from their sin and in eternity apart from them so that one day when they die, they will be with God forever. Now that's a fact of, of, of salvation. But clearly they understood that God saved them and that they were to live the rest of their lives on planet earth doing everything they could to help others Come to know Jesus and follow Jesus and help others come to know Jesus until the day they died. Are you guys with me on that? You see that? That's, they understood that as they were one in terms of that's the reason we're on planet earth. Not just to go to heaven one day, but to bring others and help them know the freedom and fullness of a life with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were They had a unity of heart and soul that led to a transfer of ownership. Look at verse 32, part B. And not one of them was saying that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. I want you to notice this text does not say that these believers didn't own anything that they had no private property and possessions. They have private property. We're going to see them use private property later on. No, no. It says, when you read the text carefully, notice it says, anything belonging to, okay, wait a minute. So this belongs to you. Yes, it's mine. Okay, so you, you have, yeah, but I want you to understand, it belongs to me, but it's not mine. <laughs> it belongs to me, but I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't own me, and I don't own it. What's going on here? Belongs to me, and yet nothing is mine. Well, these guys have made a transfer of ownership and they have come to understand the Holy Spirit in them, the apostles teaching, the fundamental foundational principle of life, of material things, of wealth, of money, of anything, all things on the planet and that you have and possess. God owns it all. Thus they could say, you know, this belongs to me, but it's not mine, it's his. And so I'm going to wait for him to tell me what he wants me to do with it. You see, this is stewardship. this This is fundamental to the life of faith and walking with God. I could go to so many verses, I'm only going to give you two. And they're just point blank, boom, we've got them. Psalm 24, 1, it says this, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Unless we're to go, yeah, 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 he owns all the trees and all the cattle on the hills. The world and those who dwell in it. Oh, and he owns me. And he does, and our New Testaments remind us of that over and over and over again. C.S. Lewis, writing in Mere Christianity, says, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Because he owns it all. And some of us, you know, can go, and I get this, we go, well, yeah, but, you know, I worked for what I have. Indeed, you have. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18 You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Let me ask you this. Did you create oxygen? Is it yours? Whose air are you breathing right now? Whose breaths in our lungs? Play this out, gang. This is this is our reality. This is the truth of scripture. Says, "Hey, it's all God's." I, I don't know. Did you make yourself? Did you create your being? Is your heart beating now because you're making it so? You see, it's all God. He owns it all. He rules it all. He's in control of it all. It's His. I said this back in 244 and 45. I'll say it again. This is not communism that we're seeing here. This is not like, you know, what communism says is, you know, what you have, look, it's everyone's. What you have is everyone's. That's communism. By the way, it's the law, you know. That's not what's happening here. What are they saying here? What I have is yours and it's voluntary in which I am even saying and giving this. A unity of heart and soul led to this transfer of ownership. It's not mine, God. Everything I have is yours. And that prompted a radical generosity. Look at 34 and 35. This is amazing. For there was not a needy person among them. We're talking about thousands of people here. There was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed as each had need. When they sold land or property, it's just like today. This is not like, you know what, here's a 20. We're talking... You sell your house, you're only $100,000. You talk, sell a piece of land, you're talking about a million dollars. These were big sums of money, and so what did they do? They recognized the authority of the apostles, for God had said these are the men that he has, he has empowered and instructed to be the foundation of the church. So they took these big sums of money, and they brought them to the apostles and said, you guys distribute it as you see people have need. You do it. It, it. it was mine, but it's not mine. And God has said for me to give it, and now you distribute it. That's what's happening in this passage. Important thing to keep in mind in this passage, 34 and 35, there are five verbs, and they are all imperfect in tense. Okay, what does that mean? It means if it was a perfect tense, it would be they did this, and the effects of this just went on. They did it one time, one and done. It was a, That's not what this says. Imperfect means they did it, and then... They would do it again at another time. Hey, this is, I want to sell this piece of land. And then they would do it another time. See, it, was on, it, was, it was ongoing what they did. And what that tells us, and you'll notice this in your NIV, if you're reading a new international version, we teach from the New American Standard. The NIV says, from time to time, those who own land and houses. And so you see, this was, this was not like in concrete. This is what everybody has to do. It was something they did from time to time. To time. A unity of heart and soul led to a transfer of ownership, which prompted a radical generosity. Let me give you two lessons. The first is this and this is the one that surprised me. I, I wasn't looking for this per se. Unity of heart and soul precedes radical generosity. Unity of heart and soul precedes radical generosity. Generosity is a byproduct of a unity of a people in heart and soul. See, the answer, you know, what I would maybe have said years ago, and I've probably said this where it's like, you know, if you want to learn to live with prosperity and wealth, um, you know, what you need to do with Jesus did, you need to sell it all, give it all away, and take a vow of poverty, or, you know, you need to let everything go, and, and that's not it. Let me be really clear on this, okay? You want to you steward God's resources that he's given you? The antidote is not to sell it all, give it away, and become a monk. The antidote is be in relationship. Now, you need to tell me something else about money. That's not what it is. It's about you and I being in relationship. Relationship. That's distilled down. Relationship first with God, okay? But it doesn't stop there, y'all. It's about being in relationship with each other of one heart and soul. There's the antidote to a life that we all live of abundance. It shouldn't be surprising that... uh, Dr. Myers, who I quoted earlier, makes this observation. It's so interesting in another article he wrote. He said, if affluence and materialism are not major ingredients for the good life, research indicates those that are. And he gives you four researched indicators of of a fullness of life. And would you believe, the first one is close, supportive relationships. And the second one is, A faith community. How about that? Unity of heart and soul precedes radical generosity and these are really really close together. Second thing I want to say and I'll draw from the text is this, living with unity of heart and soul is one of the most evangelistic things we can do. Living with unity of heart and soul is one of the most evangelistic things we can do. Y'all, we've been praying for 40 days. We have five more days to go. And the very first thing I've instructed all of us to pray for each time when we get to intercession and supplication is what? What am I, what am I asking you to pray for every time the first time? First prayer request is, somebody tell me. Somebody's doing this? What are we praying? For people we know who don't know Christ. We're doing it, we're doing it every day together. We estimated we know 20,000 people who don't know Christ. That's That's not a crazy number. And we're praying, God, would you open their eyes to believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again, and that life is found in a relationship with Christ, fullness of life and significance of life and all of life is in him. Well, I believe God's going to answer that prayer, but there is something that can hinder that prayer. Don't turn there, but John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples in verses 20 and 21. He says this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. He was praying for the disciples. and He's going, I'm not just praying for these guys, but I'm going to pray for the people who are going to come to faith because these guys speak, which would somewhere down the lines, me and you. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Watch this so that the world may believe that you sent me. And when we read our New Testament, what we find is that Jesus is going to say, Look, the way you love one another, people of God, is, is going to is going to be, it's going to speak, it's actually going to speak evangelistically to people who don't know God, and it's going to say to them, oh, Jesus really did come from the Father because I watched the way you love one another. Are you guys with me on that? So our one heart and soul is it's probably, is it, is it one of the most important things we can do in terms of helping other people know Christ? As I wrote these prayer guides, I want you to know, you know, I'm praying, Lord, what do we need? What what, what does our body need? And I was very intentional, if you've gone through this, you know, we spent one whole week in confession, and I was very specific to say in there and ask each one of us, you know, as you look to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what sins in my heart, et cetera, et cetera, to also say, Lord, where have I harmed another person, or another person harmed me? And I said, you know, part of confession is not just confessing it, but it's repenting and then going to say, I, I, I need to make this relationship right. Are you guys with me? We need to restore. We need to reconcile. And I'll tell you this: I wrote it in there so that I knew I would have to do it because I've, I've got relationships of strain and difficulty. I hate conflict. I, I mean, some of us eat on it, you know, love it, you know, thrive on it. I'm, I'm, I'm not that way. You know, my Enneagram number of those people into that, I'm, I know I'm just not a conflict person, but you know what? I can't lead without creating some conflict with you guys, some of you. And so I knew, I go, gosh, Lord, show me as best I can. Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Uh, Matthew 5, you know what Matthew 5 says? If you have something and you're at the altar and and you're worshiping God and you remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift and go and see if you can make that right, which is stunning. Because what you and I would say, and I would say this, the most important thing in life is to worship God. And God says, well, yeah, but I don't want you to worship me right now in this way. I want you to worship me by going and to someone who's got something against you and say, hey, can you make this right? I will tell you, Two weeks ago, I asked a friend to mediate a meeting with someone who I, I know has something against me, and I went to this person, and we spent over three hours together with this, with this other friend to mediate, and we are not at peace, okay? So I don't want to make it like a Disney story. Um, we're not at peace, but um, I'm not done, and I'm going to try and do that. We've gone through a leadership transition here, and there I, I know this for a fact. People have left here uh, mad at me or the elders, or you have something against me, and I can't fix that for you, but I can say this to you, and I mean it with all my heart. If you've got something against me, tell me. But Some people have left and said things about me or others that's not true. And I'm just going to say to you, it, it... I invite it. You know, some people are maybe intimidated by me, and I, get, I just get a kick out of that because my kids aren't intimidated by me. No one's intimidated by me. I don't know. I'm just one of us, you know, and I say, if you have something against me, I mean this with all my heart, talk to me. If, I, I may not be able to fix it, but I can, I can do the best I can. There's no way that I'm the only person that feels that way in this room. There's no way that, this, that we don't have stuff against each other or we've harmed each other. You cannot go to a church and be committed to that church and ride that church through thick and thin, which is a rarity, it seems, in these days, where you just go, this is my church family, you know, and I'm going to stay and we're mad, but I'm going to stay in it. You can't do that without being hurt. And you cannot do that without the church disappointing you or hurting you. And you can't do that without each other harming each other. We're a family. I've never seen a family make it through life without conflict and hurt and pain. And sometimes it doesn't get resolved fully. I get that. I'm not looking for panacea. Do you know what's the most encouraging thing to me about this? Is they were of one heart and one soul. And guess what? It didn't last. Read 1 Corinthians. Read the letter to the churches. Every one of those letters. Do you know, what the most, you know what most of the New Testament letters are about? Can you guys just get along? Look, can I tell you how to forgive? That, that's what they're all about. But That doesn't mean we don't strive for it, y'all. And I am just, if you hear passion in me, it's just this. If, if you had a child and someone said to you, look, if you'll go do this, this child will be healed, you would cut your arm off. And what the Bible tells us is if we're not of one heart and soul, that there are people who don't know Christ that they're hindered from coming to Christ because we're not of one heart and soul. And I'm tired of it. I'm weary. I'm just telling you personally, I'm weary of people being myself with them and them with me. Let's just talk and let's get as far as we can, you know? Because it's not about us. And there's no decisions that are ever made, I assure you, from an elder board to me or a robber, anyone that's about, I want to hurt you. I want to damage this. It's never been that. Has it been perfect? No. So I'd say, speak to me, speak to elders, whatever. But I also say, speak to each other. If you've got something against, let's resolve it. There's something way more important here. And it's the souls of men. Well, close your Bibles. I've got to wrap this up, and I, I told Joe I would give more time to this, and I've, I've failed. But this passage is just not hard to understand. But like all passages, it's difficult to apply. And if you're new to fellowship, I want you to know this. We're just not here to learn about the Bible. And if you come here and you come because the teaching's good, I implore you. You got to go beyond that because it's about the Bible changing us, the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts. And he does that when we trust him and we get uncomfortable. I don't know anyone in the room who has ever grown through ease. And so I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone right here. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down, and we're going to pass the offering again. And I'm going to ask you to take your wallet out and put the whole wallet in it. Just kidding. You know, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have you do that. Um, I want the ushers to pass these baskets, and you're going to find in these baskets these little wooden blocks. And everyone needs to take a wooden block. Don't look at what's on it. Just take a block. And uh, we want everyone to have a block, adults, children. If children, if you can hear me and understand me, take a block. Every kid in the room takes a block. Pass these out and um, let's uh, move them quickly. I'm going to talk as we do. When you take a block, I want you to hold it, and you are going to find on this block one block. There's some blocks that have the letter A, and the letter A stands for abundance. Letter A stands for I'll say assets. You, you got more than you need. You have. You know where we get in trouble with with uh, with finances? Where I do is it. Um, you know, if I said to you, do you have enough for today? You'd say yes, but we would, we would not want to give it up because we go, I don't know if I'm going to have enough for tomorrow. Isn't that how we are? When we get future-oriented, we start holding on to stuff. Well, the A stands for you literally today, you, you have an abundance. You have an asset, okay? Now, some of you are going to be holding a little block, and it's going to have a red N. What do you think the N stands for? Huh? Need. You have a need. Now... Um, I don't know, and you don't know. Is is that need? Do I need like four A's to meet this need, or one A to meet the? I don't know. You know, let's 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 just see what happens. But you 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 have a need, and so someone with an abundance uh, needs to meet your need. Okay, and we're literally going to do this now. So if you have an N. Um, and someone gives you an A, then great, you've had your need met. And Someone else gives you an A, well, stack it on there. You've really had your need met, and just keep it. You don't give your N away. But the point is, is to give the asset for each one of us to give our abundance to meet the need of another in this body. Is everyone clear on what I'm asking you to do? Does everyone have, who, who, who are we missing that doesn't have some have a block yet this row right here oh my goodness okay let's keep it keep it going let's um pass those out everyone's going to have a a and an n you know the the interesting thing when we do stuff like this is like any step of growth and this is something i want to remind you of any step of growth is going to have resistance And sometimes when we meet that resistance, whether it's our own hearts, uh, uh, we we back away. But I'll tell you something. Your growth and mine, when you encounter resistance, stay there. Stay there at the resistance. Because that's the part God wants to change in you. That's that part that God wants to grow in you and develop in you and you don't change without moving through it, okay? We got everybody, everybody just about covered? Pass that out. Keep it going. Everybody go ahead and stand up. Keep passing the basket. If you, yeah. Everybody stand up. You're going to have to move for this, but um, let's just see if, uh, if those with abundance can meet those with a need in the room. Okay, don't stay right where you are. Don't sit down. I want if you have a need that's not been met, I want you to raise your hand. If you have a need and it hasn't been met, raise your hand and hold it up and leave it up. So what are you going to do? Anybody in the room have a need that hasn't been met? Raise your hand. You've got to be kidding me. Every need's been met. Let me ask those of you with an abundance. How did you get your abundance? How did you get it? Um, So it really wasn't yours, was it? Did that make it easier for you to give it to someone? Is it any different than any asset, any wealth that you have? Is it any different in principle in that way? Do you see that? It's not, is it? See, this is the way the body of Christ works. The Holy Spirit leads and takes our abundance to meet the needs of the body. Now, someone who's got a need that ended up with four A's, your opportunity is to pass an A or two along, isn't it? Do you see that? Now, the hardest thing for us, and it's interesting, in every service we've done this, and I kind of just stop talking and you guys don't know what to do next... But then you start doing that. But what's most difficult oftentimes, and this is, this is it's weird this way, but just holding that little N is making your need known. Those of you with an A, you're like, I got Those of you with a need are like, you know, and that's how it is. How about this in life? How many of us won't make our need known? Because of pride. The Bible calls that kind of pride sin. In me and in you. Now this is getting very real. You have a card in your program. On the front of the card it says describe your need here. And there's a space for you to describe a need you have. This is not a prayer request. This is I need this tangible thing I need this money. I need this help. I have a need. You turn it over and you give your name. You check, I'm a member at fellowship. I don't know how else to do this. I'm trusting the Spirit to do this, but you know, I'm trying to do something where no one gets shenaniganed here. You know, I don't know. It's crazy in the world we live in. But if you're talking, you know, if you're trying to meet a need and you don't know if that person's a fellowship member, call me and I'll tell you. I'll check it out, you know. But you're a fellowship member, and then you say, Here's my phone number, here's my email, and my time frame. I need it now, I need it in the next four weeks, I need it anytime. Here's some specific things about my need. Now, there are needs in this body, but will you make the need known? See, just make the need known. And when you make that need known, this board is out back. And all you do is with the need here, your private information's on the back, you stick it on this board, and if there's more, boards are all filled up, stick it on top. So you got three or four needs on that card. And all of us over, we're only going to do this for two weeks. So it's not like we're going to do this forever. No, we're going to do it for two weeks. And the board's going to be in the church office during the week. Is if you want to put your need there, but you also go by and go, oh, I, I'd like to meet that need. Oh, there's the name. There's their phone. I'm going to call them this week and I'm going to talk to them. About, does that make sense? Let's pray. Wow, Lord, we have gone way over. <laughs> would you go way over beyond our expectations? I don't know, Lord, what, how this sharing board will go. We're not, the point is even not those needs being met as much as it would be on my prayer is that our hearts would be changed, that our hearts would be changed, that we would be of one heart and one soul, That we would transfer ownership. That you would save lost people. And we would be radically generous. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And God bless. Thanks for your patience.